Steel Profiles podcast is brought to you by AISC Continuing Education. Visit AISC.org seminars to find a seminar in a city near you. Welcome to another episode of Steel Profiles. I'm your host, Margaret Matthew, Senior Engineer in the Continuing Education Department at AISC. My guest today is Charlie Carter, SEPE PhD. Charlie is Vice President and Chief Structural Engineer at AISC, where he has worked since 1991. Charlie received his Bachelor's and Master's of Science degrees in Architectural Engineering from the Pennsylvania State University and his PhD in Civil and Architectural Engineering from the Illinois Institute of Technology. He is a licensed structural engineer and professional engineer in the state of Illinois. He serves as secretary of the AISC Committee on the Code of Standard Practice, is a member of the AISC Committee on Specifications and Committee on Manuals, and serves as chair of the Research Council on Structural Connections. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Sure. Thank you, Margaret. It's my pleasure. So, what did you want to be before you grew up? Uh, well, I guess in the fourth grade, I thought I would be a mu- musician. That was when you got to be in the band, so I took mm-hmm. up the trumpet, and my dream was to play a trumpet like Chuck Mangione. So, were you a trumpet prodigy? Uh, I was a trumpet player, <laughs> but um, I never quite achieved Chuck Mangione status. Uh, somewhere in there, you would have had to practice, mm-hmm. and uh, I never seemed to do any of that. Uh, there was also another problem with my dream. He played the flugelhorn, not the trumpet. <laughs> So uh, about the time that my sister took up uh, the trumpet and uh, actually wound up making a career out of it because she practiced. Really? Yes, and actually went to Chuck Mangione's alma mater, uh, University of Rochester Eastman School of Music. So do you Uh, think you inspired that dream in her? Oh, I must have, yes. She always followed in my footsteps. So she no. lives. She's living your dream. Yeah, she, she. I said she actually practiced, so which I didn't. So uh, <laughs> she did it much better than I did. So then, how did you go from that to becoming a structural engineer? My parents uh, were teachers, and so they were always. Uh, uh, I was not just educated at school; I was educated at home too, and uh, they were always looking for. You know, what what are you going to learn? And my my dad once asked me what I wanted to be, and I thought I wanted to be an architect. And uh, he and my mom suggested that I talk to Uncle Bob. He's actually my great uncle. Uh, my great uncle was an architect in New Jersey with uh, some prominence in the New Jersey architecture community. And so at the next family function where Uncle Bob was, I sat across from him at the picnic table and said, Uncle Bob, what do you think about me being an architect? And he asked me several questions, uh, all of which got at uh, that I like drawing, but uh, not so much the art more the mechanical side. Mm-hmm. Uh, math and science were good. Uh, the artistic side wasn't really there. He actually steered me towards something called architectural engineering. Mm-hmm. He said, you ought to look at that. It's uh, so the structure, the mechanical systems, managing construction, and it might be more to your liking. And I think I was about 15 at the time. That's actually the direction I went. I really don't know how he knew right then and there on the spot, but because that's kind of a hard degree to find. It is. There's only a few programs in the country. He specifically said architectural engineering. I don't know why. Most people might have said civil engineering, mm-hmm. which is more common. But it's also how I wound up at Penn State because you go to back then you would go to the guidance uh, mm-hmm. department at high school and type in architectural engineering and then you have to spell it right because it doesn't <laughs> pop up anything the first time when you misspell it as <laughs> no I did. No spell check? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, about 120 character, no screen computer, green bar popping up through, you know, I'm dating myself, I know. <laughs> so you did go to Penn State 
Um, yes. Is it true that as a grad student you did not have a place to live in State College so that you <laughs> lived in the department lab? Uh, you got all the dirt from Lou, I, <laughs> I can tell. Yes, um, as a master's uh, student I uh, was just a little longer in finishing my degree. Uh, I did it shorter than the two years that was usual because I had taken some classes earlier as an undergraduate that transferred uh, for the master's degree but when the end of the summer came I just had a month and a half or two months to go and I was going to defend my uh, thesis and uh, boy for a month two months why why sign up for an apartment sure. and I got this idea well I got a cot and I got a sleeping bag I got a microwave and <laughs> there's a shower up at rec hall and uh, it all just seemed to work I mean looking back <laughs> how crazy was that but at the time I was thinking why did I Sign yeah, up for all these leases throughout my. Perfectly reasonable. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I I did fine. I, I think they knew I was doing it. At one point, Lou Geshwinder offered me a bedroom bedroom in his house, uh, which was oh, very nice. That was uh, nice. I stayed with the cot. It was nice studio space. You know, private. Sure. Nobody went in there. It was just the grad students. Easy access to so. your lab. Actually, uh, it was a funny thing that happened here. We, we wound up hiring about 10 years ago uh, a recent graduate from Penn State, and uh, Lou happened to tell the story in his earshot. Uh, it was Chris Hewitt. And Chris stopped, came back down the hall, and said, Oh, my God, you're the, you're the engineering unit A bag man? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently it made the lore in the department. Wow, you're a legend. Right. He had no idea he got hired by the bag man. Uh, another legend that Lou told me about at Penn State uh, is that you completed your undergraduate thesis project in a record short period of time in two weeks. Yeah, I, I guess I did some penance in doing my thesis for my master's degree longer. Um, the undergraduate thesis was, uh, you know, two weeks is probably kind uh, <laughs> with the amount of uh, productive work I did for it. But uh, that, that was, uh, you may know, but um, at Penn State AEs do a fifth year thesis. It's an undergraduate project, capstone kind of thing, where mm -hmm. you get a building that someone else has designed. And they're a real professional, you know, they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then you go in and you try to uh, show how it could have been done differently. Oh, okay. And of course, uh, everything I pursued, nothing worked. Uh, <laughs> you know, I managed to pick the perfect professional, I guess. But, of course. Uh, and of course, I was just a student. What did I know? Uh, but in the end, you have to turn something in, mm -hmm. and uh, I did. <laughs> and they did passed really well me anyway. It there is, you go. It's to this day. Uh, that's probably the legend, not the uh, the two weeks, which seemed like much longer. So then you came to work for AISC. Yes. How and when did you come to work for AI? Uh, well, Lou had a lot to do with that. I got him back when you know we got him to come here mm -hmm. uh, later, but it, it was really a chance meeting. I was doing my uh, master's degree at Penn State. Lou was my advisor, and one day I uh, walked into Engineering Unit A before I was living there. And Lou and a gentleman named Jerry Heyer were walking out on their way to lunch. It was uh, a winter day, and turns out Jerry, then Vice President of Engineering and Research at AISC, uh, had been snowed in. He had visited his daughter, who was living in State College, and he used the extra day to visit Lou. We chatted for a moment. I was introduced. Um, they said, would you like to come to lunch? I said, sure, a free lunch as a grad <laughs> student. You never turn that down. <laughs> no. I didn't say much, but uh, we talked a little bit about my thesis, which was in steel connection design, and uh, Jerry must have thought something of that. Lou must have told him something. I don't quite know what, but three <laughs> months later, Jerry showed up uh, at Penn State, and I got a call that he'd like to talk at 10, and so I was sitting in my office at 10, and he walked in. I thought he was going to call, Yeah. Uh, but he was there again, and he wanted to see what I had done on my 
master's thesis. Wow, so he came to you. Uh, and thank God I had done something. <laughs> so uh, I showed him and we talked and of course that was 1991. It was a lot like now. Back then it was savings and loans that were failing, not banks like yeah. today. The market was like it is now, much lower, but it dropped and jobs were scarce and nobody was hiring. Uh, but Jerry had a job. It worked out. I, uh, I interviewed and I got the job offer and I took it, not really knowing what I'd be doing. So what, what were you doing? What was your first job when you got here? Um, actually, uh, my very first job was I did a, a metric conversion of the AISC specification. Yes, really? we, we struggled with that on and off and on and off. And uh, wow. uh, it's a project that kept coming back like a boomerang. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, yeah, um, I did that. I got involved with the manual committee, which mm -hmm. was really a blessing uh, to be involved with a group like that at the start. It was really the, the start of my career at AISC, more, more so than the job at AISC, because that really snowballed into other things that I got to do. So then how many different job titles have you had <laughs> since you've been here? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I started as staff engineer, which is the entry level. They didn't hand me a broom, but it was pretty close. After a few years, I, I became a senior staff engineer, which is a step up and a raise. And boy, at that time, you're just happy to get that raise uh -huh. and you know more work. And you know, my role with the manual committee was fun. Uh, that seemed to snowball because there were a lot of things happening, a lot of projects centered on the manual. And every time I would do one of those, it, it would just be a new thing to get into and a new so thing to learn. So which manual were you working? Well, let's see. The very first one that I worked on myself as the staff associated with the manual committee was uh, the second edition LRFD manual, okay. the silver one. That was uh, when it uh, was published in two volumes with member design in the front and connection, connection design in the back and people complained about having to carry two books. Uh -huh. In the third edition we put it together with thinner paper and people complained that the paper was too thin we should have put it in two <laughs> books. So I decided then that uh, you pretty much change things back and forth in the manual to please everyone and they can buy every other edition of the manual and That's everyone will be idea. happy. And does that work? Is everybody happy? Yeah, never. No. <laughs> never. Yeah. But you can make some of the people happy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so out of all your jobs here, um, how many of your jobs were created just for you? The stuff after senior staff engineer seemed to get into that mold and loop pokes fun at that. I'd get a new title because I got uh, new responsibilities. This is back when you know he was uh, still just a volunteer with AISC, uh, hadn't joined the staff. It was much later that I got him uh, involved in that. But you know, I'd call him and we'd talk. Oh yeah, I, I got in this, and uh, uh, so now my title. I think I I became a director of manuals when I achieved. Uh, engineering professional licensure. Mm -hmm. uh, that was somewhat of a reward for that. I had become pretty involved with the manual committee and then it, it just started to build from there. We, we were combining education uh, into the engineering department and I was put in charge of that and things grew over the course of time. I guess you do uh, one thing right and uh, or two things right and one thing wrong and they forget about the one thing wrong <laughs> and uh, give you more. So you're now VP of engineering and chief structural engineer. Yes. So what are your areas of responsibility? What does that mean you're responsible for? Uh, everybody knows that AISC writes a manual and if you go back to the beginning of time for AISC, which is something like 90 years ago this year, right? Yes. Uh, uh, AISC started out writing a specification, a code of standard practice, and uh, a steel construction manual. And boy were those people brilliant back then. They, they proposed this stuff as the way we were going to 
try to do things as an industry and standardize and they were brilliant they yeah. they hit it on the first shot the spec is still what we use today the code is still what we use today and the manual is still what we use today most of the effort that we do is centered around those documents so of mm -hmm. course there's a lot more we have an engineering function that produces all of the standards and the code of standard practice and the technical documents we write we have a research unit that does our research and innovation that's Tom Schlafly, who's also involved in just about every industry organization you can name, <laughs> and he's our safety guru. Uh -huh. Cindy Duncan does all of the work, a previous podcast, yes, the interviewee, interviewee. Um, on the engineering side. And then there's two other areas. Uh, Nancy Gavlin has continuing education, university relations, all of our education activities. Mm -hmm and Heath Mitchell has our technical assistance as a part of the Solution Center. If you take those four things, it's pretty much uh, all of uh, the service and information and knowledge we offer uh, at AISC that's technical. When you started at AISC, who was your mentor? Well, mentors you know, are lifelong in some cases. My, my parents uh, certainly were mentors and uh, all the teachers you have. I mentioned my parents were teachers, so that's a natural, but your teachers tend to become your mentors and certainly Lou uh, was a key one of those for me and still is. But when I joined AISC, uh, it was uh, Jerry Heyer who took me under his wing. He was, uh, it was like an instant relationship. I, I felt very close to him from the beginning, uh, how things developed, and he took uh, very good care of me. He gave me good advice and uh, some stern guidance at times. I actually wrote an article, uh, Lincoln Electric has a magazine, Welding Innovation, and Dwayne Miller had the idea to do a, a series of uh, mentor articles, and I got to write one about Jerry. felt very good writing it. It, it was one that I wrote uh, with some sadness. He, he passed away uh, in my third year with AISC, so our relationship was short, um, but I feel like I learned a lot from it, uh, some things that I carry with me to today. What would you say you did learn from him? Uh, well, um, I learned not to mouth off too much to the president. We left a meeting where I had expressed my viewpoints, as <laughs> I am known to do. And he sat in my office, he said, you know, you're going to probably get yourself fired. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was pretty direct. But I asked why. I, I really didn't understand. I thought we were a, an organization where people wanted to hear <laughs> what you had to say. And uh, you know, learned that that might not be the case when you're staff engineer. Uh -huh. <laughs> so did you learn to kind of curb your opinion for a while yeah, until a little you got bit, yeah and, you know it's like mushroom farming you <laughs> got to chop the head off every now and then <laughs> but uh, you know, which happened to me somewhat regularly but uh, I guess it, it was okay I'm still here yes yes you are still here and it's yes. been how many years um, this will be in December 20 years 20 years for me at AISC yes wow. uh, I was a child bride so how different would you say AISC is now than when you started? Well, I think AISC is very different. When I, when I joined AISC, it was uh, mostly an organization uh, of people that had worked at U.S. Steel, Bethlehem Steel, Inland Steel. They had spent their careers there. Uh, Jerry Heyer, in fact, had come from U.S. Steel, the research lab, uh, left that job to run the engineering department at AISC. And there were some uh, longtime AISC alums. Actually, Bob Disquay went out the door at the time that I came in. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, that was after a 40-year career. I got his phone number, which was really annoying because then I also got his calls, and they expected me to know everything that he knew. And I just had to tell him I, I, I didn't know. Yeah, well. But fortunately, I knew Bob's phone number, and uh, he was on the manual committee, and he's 
certainly been very helpful throughout my career. Well, he is Mr. Steele. Mr. Steele, yes. Uh, so how many staff members do you supervise? Uh, let's see, there's a dozen people in the engineering department, if I count right, do I? I think so, yes. So we're kind of a small group. Yes. Uh, so how, how does AISC accomplish so much with all the things that, that, that your department gets done? Yeah, well, we're, we're a small group when you compare us to, say, uh, uh, other large engineering organizations. We're a large group compared to many uh, industry associations. But for what we do and, and what we represent and produce, I think we are a small group of staff. Mm -hmm. uh, but, of course, that's not really the whole story of how things happen at AISC. Nothing happens here that's technical that doesn't go through some process, and those processes always involve a committee. Mm -hmm. We have hundreds of industry professionals. We have practicing engineers. We have academics. Uh, we have other people of general interest, code developers, mm -hmm. um, uh, NIST representatives. You know, I, every organization you can think of has some form of representation within AISC committee's process. Mm -hmm. That's really where the work happens and how things develop. And the staff is there to be the, the grease that keeps the, the, mm -hmm. the wheel moving. But it's those volunteers who put the time into developing and creating. And AISC wouldn't be AISC without them. Yes, without our volunteers. That's how all that work happens. It's uh, it's their time and effort and hours, uh, and of course the staff pulling it together and, and making it happen. Yeah, you have a number of steel-related mementos in your <laughs> office. Um, that you've brought today to, to show me. Um, can you tell us about a few of the most significant ones? In those 20 years, I've collected quite a number of things, and you know, we could talk the whole interview about <laughs> some of them and bore people to death, but <laughs> I, I have several things that uh, are close to me. One is just a great uh, little thing with my uh, friend and colleague, Scott Melnick. Uh, many years ago, and I, I won't tell you the author, but uh, uh, I, I received a copy of a book uh, that I had helped uh, the author to rewrite a chapter. Uh, there were some problems with it when the publisher looked at it and had it reviewed. And I spent some time and made some suggestions and uh, you know the book was published and I, I got a, a copy complimentary and I was visiting Scott in his office and I saw oh, you you've got a copy of the book. I just got one too. And he said, yeah, it's the nicest message in the front of the book. It, it, I opened it up and it said, uh, to Scott Melnick, friend and greatest contributor to understanding of steel construction. And I said, you know, I never even thought to look in my book and see what he wrote to me. Uh -huh. And so I walked back to my office and I looked in the front and there was just a blank page. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to Scott's office and one, one of the things I pin up on my bulletin board is that note to Scott and, uh, you know, that, that's no good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> right? But, uh, but Scott did uh, make up for uh, the slight. Uh, the second thing I, I brought to show you is uh, a little article that he, or an advertisement that he did in uh, some trade publications. Uh, we did this series of uh, fable-based ads, and this one happened to be uh, Steel Story Number 21, The Little Pig Does Big Things. It was about the fourth pig uh, who built his house out of steel. Excellent. And the pig's name was Charlie. <laughs> so uh, I have this uh, framed in my office. Thanks to Scott, I'm the fourth little pig. <laughs> I, I also have a, a great little collection of uh, uh, rivet heads and partial rivets that have been taken out of Chicago's L. Oh. the uh, elevated train structure, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, over a hundred years old at this point, and uh, they replace rivets, they take them out to redo sections of the 
structure and every now and then you would just be walking along and you find a, a rivet head on the, on the sidewalk. and I, I pick them up and uh, when I find them. One actually uh, uh, fell out as a train went over uh, my head and it nearly hit me. Oh. And so, uh, you know, that was my lucky rivet. Well, yeah, you got to keep that one. Yeah, so those are those are fun, you know, connections from a, a bygone era. Mm -hmm. uh, far too strong to have one rivet fall out, uh, cause a problem. So that's, of course, interesting. Yeah, that's neat. And then the, the final thing um, that I, I pull off uh, is actually uh, my neighbor's fault. Uh, he's an architect, <laughs> Kevin O'Connor. Uh, he's a good friend. And uh, we would ride the train together to and from work. He works downtown here in Chicago. Uh, we would talk about things, and he would sometimes have steel questions. And he would ask me, and I would do what I could to help. And one day, he, he coined the phrase that uh, he just thought I, I was so helpful, I was the Sultan of Steel. <laughs> And it just happened to be when AISC was doing uh, new business cards, and so the test case for business cards has me with my favorite title. Uh, this one actually AISC never gave to me, but the uh, the draft business card was done with my name and Sultan of Steel on it. So that is awesome. I always appreciated. So Kevin. you didn't get a whole box of those. Just one. Yeah, just they one. they printed it as the sample and. Uh, uh, everyone looked at the format and they liked it. Nobody saw Sultan of Steel. They, <laughs> they, they didn't comment on that. But you got to keep it. Yes. Yeah, it's a little That's memento awesome. of the uh, remake of the business cards, thanks to my friend Kevin. <laughs> Is it true that uh, you used to be an ACI committee member? I was for a very brief uh, period of time. Um, we had a little effort to try to uh, homogenize some tolerances between steel and concrete mm -hmm. for when they get used together. Mm -hmm. And so I joined ACI 117, and uh, they're also on my wall with these uh, Charlie the Pig uh, <laughs> and uh, motivation, you know, notes to Scott Melnick, <laughs> um, uh, is my ACI uh, committee member certificate. I thought that was interesting. I might turn a few heads here at AISC yes, if I yes. posted that on the wall. What piece of advice do you wish that you had known at the beginning of your career? One thing that I've learned in my uh, time at AISC is uh, it's very difficult to communicate. And I found that certainly to be true for me. I, I would often uh, charge down a path. And uh, what, I, what I've learned in uh, 20 years and hope to, you know, stay, not that I found the answer by any means, <laughs> but hope to in the next 20 maybe, is that you really only have a, a certain amount of time before people start thinking of what they're going to say in response. And so you better think through what you're going to say. Mm -hmm. uh, Probably a few people would tell you I better think more about the things I was going to say. They're probably right. <laughs> but it, you know, if, if you start down that, that path and you're not communicating effectively, you almost have to stop and say, wait a minute. I think that's what I've learned, that, that you can't really communicate effectively if you don't listen. And mm -hmm. so I try to listen. I also try to make it so that other people will listen to what I have to say if I have something to say. Mm -hmm. Not always successful, of course. Of course. It's always a challenge. I understand that your hobby is woodworking. Yes. What is your latest project? Right now, uh, all of my effort is going into a, a remodel of a house. I got married a few years ago to a, a, a wonderful lady, mm -hmm. my wife Arati, and uh, we have been living where she was living before we got married, and now we're renovating the house that I was living in before we got married. And uh, boy, what a project <laughs> that has become. Right now, it's consuming all of my free time. <laughs> 
we were supposed to move in last weekend. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was <laughs> trying to do it as a birthday present for her, but uh, it didn't quite work out. Everything kind of slips, and uh, you know, we'll be there at the end of the week. It doesn't necessarily mean at the end of this week. So when are you supposed to move in? Uh, I'm thinking middle of November. Maybe about the time people are hearing this podcast, we'll <laughs> we'll be uh, comfy in our new home. Well, that's not too far off. No. That's not too much of a slide. No, I'm hopeful I can make it. So in the process of building this house, um, I understand that you're not only the client, but also the structural engineer and the general contractor. Yes, I am the client. I hired the architect, and we actually did produce complete design drawings, <laughs> which was a shock. That is a shock. For the architect, I think. Uh, I'm sure that you've probably learned a lot, a lot of lessons along this path. I certainly have. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's amazing to me how many times I can look at the drawings and still find things that aren't right. Uh-huh. You know, things that I looked at and these numbers don't add up right or this detail doesn't quite work the way we showed it or gee, I didn't think about that. Yeah, We've that had plenty gee, I didn't think about that. That's a big We've one. had <laughs> plenty of uh, on-the-fly solutions and I've also learned the extreme value that my uh, friends who are working on this project uh, bring to it and I, I say that not kidding. The, uh, the contractor that I did hire uh, to do the framing has been wonderful mm-hmm. and it's been fun. Uh, we actually uh, have enjoyed bouncing ideas off of each other and figuring out those things that didn't quite work out the way the plans showed them. Mm-hmm. And so that's been very exciting for me. Is there any steel in the house? Uh, there's uh, about three quarters of a ton of steel, eight wow. beams, eight columns. Yeah, it was an old house and everything was framed with a two by four including the uh, old hip roof, which was two by four is two feet on center. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how it lasted 90 years in Chicago snows, Mm -mm. but uh, certainly our structures are worth more than we give them credit for in our equations, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. But uh, to put the new pieces on the house and carry the loads down through the old structure didn't work without steel. There was a solution, as always in steel. Always and, a solution uh, in steel. I got as much of it in as I could. I, I said I am a steel guy and that's what we would do the whole house out of if we could <laughs> and uh, so we got enough. I, interestingly I got the steel fabricated by AISC member Garby Ironworks. I Excellent. was uh, so happy to work with them and uh, they purchased their steel through a service center and so I actually got beams from all the mill members of AISC. Nucor, Steel Dynamics, and Gerdau all provided steel for my house. Atlas provided hollow sections. I have bolts from Nucor. Uh, I have uh, Lincoln Electric weld metal. It's wonderful. That is wonderful. Did you learn anything about steel that you didn't already know? Uh, I learned uh, that it's very good to take dimensions after you construct <laughs> if you can. Um, I, we actually did that. I, I did details on the steel. I designed all the connections, provided it to Garby mm-hmm. uh, just to get a, a price in when we went in for our construction loan. And then during construction, when everything was suitable, we measured and found out how far off things would have been if we had just ordered the steel ahead of time. Yep. Uh, of course, uh, that's a luxury you, you don't have on most projects. Fortunately, most projects aren't renovation uh, where you can live with the actual dimensions that you specify in the drawings because that's what everybody else is going to work to. Right. But when you're working in an old house, it sure uh, helped to have those dimensions and know how long to make the columns. Everything fit. Everything fit. First try. Yeah. First try. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And I even taught the the carpenters how to how to put steel together. It was great. So it was the carpenters, the the they're used to doing wood that, that actually put the steel together. Yes, yeah. The, but uh, believe it or not, they used steel on the very next project that they framed after mine uh, because they were comfortable with it. Oh, 
Oh, well, there. So yeah, it's it was you know, the typical uh, beam uh, making the uh, basement column free. Uh, they weren't afraid of it anymore. They had done it successfully, and uh, I felt good about that. Yeah, that's great. AIS seem, seems like a perfect fit for you. What other career paths did you consider between the trumpet and the structural <laughs> engineer? Um, <laughs> Anything else? Well, um, AISC is, uh, I didn't realize it when I took the job. I, I, I'm lucky, uh, and at times were so bad in 91 that I didn't have any other job offers to consider because I might have taken one of the other ones. Mm -hmm. uh, as much as I like Jerry Heyer, I really had no idea what the career path would be at AISC or if there was one. But having no other job offer, I took it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, and it's turned out to be wonderful. I probably uh, in a better market would have gone the usual path that many of my contemporaries from Penn State AE would have or did at that time got jobs uh, working at design offices mm -hmm. or doing construction management and that would have been more traditional but having the times be the way they were it really was a blessing in disguise because I wound up with a job that really is suited for me mm -hmm. uh, I, I really get into the things that we do here and what we're able to do here. Your wife, who also works at AISC, told me to ask you, why do you love your job? Well, uh, she she knows I love my job, and uh, AISC is a great place. That's, that's one of the reasons. It's very conducive. You get to do things that you wouldn't get to do anywhere else. Uh, I become involved in activities that, because I work for AISC, not because I'm me, I mean, I, it's because I work for AISC, and you know that opportunity really resonated with me uh, as far as what I like. Uh, what I love about it is it, it's it's something different all the time. You know, every every time it might be a challenge. It might be something you know we got a problem here, mm -hmm. um, but problems have solutions, and we pursue them. And we have 90 years of history of making solutions into opportunities from problems. That's what I enjoy being able to do here. Uh, in the past few years, you went back to school to get your PhD. I did. Um, why did you decide to do that at this point in your career? I was forced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. they, they told me if you want the next job. I was chief structural engineer, and Lou had come in to be vice president of engineering and research. Also, you know, they told him that your one of your roles is to train Charlie to be suitable for the job. He's not suitable now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, maybe they didn't say the last part. Maybe that was just inferred. But uh, uh, Lou came in, and it was wonderful working with him. You know, through that time, he he was just great. And uh, you know, what a what a joy to have that relationship that you have with someone from uh, a previous time uh, continue through your your time as colleagues, and then become professional colleagues employed at the same place. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the things that AISC said was, uh, we want you to get a PhD, and that would be a condition if you were to succeed to the next position. Well, I said, okay. They may have known that when I came here and interviewed, I was asked, you know, what are my future plans? This goes back to one of your other questions. I, I, I actually thought I would go back and teach. Oh, okay. And at Penn State, maybe I'd replace Lou Geschwinder uh -huh. after. But I, you know, I figured I had to go out and work and learn something. Yeah. And so I said that in the interview, and they said, "Well, that's kind of a dumb answer to a, an interview question because you're saying you're going to leave." I said, "Well, <laughs> no, I'm going to be here ten years minimum." <laughs> and they said, "Well, that's okay. Uh, maybe ten years is okay." <laughs> well, ten years came and went, and I'm still here. But yeah. um, uh, what I realized is AISC really is. It's like teaching uh, without the publisher parish kind of uh, approach that many universities have. And so, you know, here I still am 20 years later. Well, the, the PhD uh, was something that was 
critical for becoming a professor anyway, so I personally had plans to go back myself maybe at that 10-year point, which I never did until several years ago. So was it hard for you to get back into student mentality? You know, the the classes were not hard. Uh, it was totally different, and it was eye-opening. I, I spent my undergraduate and master's programs feverishly taking notes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure why I did that based on my experience uh, as a PhD candidate, because I would go to the classes and I would absorb the material. I hardly took any notes, and I just listened to what the professor was saying. It just clicked. You know, yeah. Maybe that's the, the thing of you, know, you practice for a while and, and you're, you're in a different position. And if I had had that benefit when I was an undergraduate, of course, how could you practice, right? That's the cart before the horse. Yes, it is. But uh, I didn't find it hard. What, what I did find hard was uh, uh, the time uh, and the time demand of still working full-time and, and going to class part-time to full-time at times. And I have to say that people here made it very easy. Uh, Lou, uh, Cindy Duncan, Tom Schlafly, Kurt Gustafson, my late friend Kurt Gustafson, they all pitched in uh, and took responsibilities that I was bearing uh, and couldn't fulfill committee responsibilities and things like that and did those things and they really helped make it possible. Uh, for me to do that, so I, I owe them uh, big time you for what they did. Yeah. Uh, what advice? Th their name didn't go on the degree, but I tried. <laughs> yeah, to get it subtitled. Right. I could handwrite <laughs> it, I guess. What advice would you give to a student that is just now graduating and starting his or her career? Yeah, well, uh, some of the advice might be good because uh, now is just like it was in '91, right? Really bad yeah. for trying to find a job. But mm -hmm. uh, I think my best advice would be look at non-traditional sources. Consider working for a steel fabricator. There are engineering positions for in the, on the staff of a steel fabricator, a steel erector. There are industry associations. There are professional associations, and not just in steel. You can go into other industries too. It's okay. I think the non-traditional job that I found really was something great for me. It might not be for everybody, uh, but I found it to be fun. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are opportunities there. I think some opportunities that go a different path, some are more specialized. Certainly my job is more specialized. I get to focus in on steel. And notice I said get to. You know, that's an opportunity yeah. to me. I, I really like being able to delve into the minutia uh, and then help people that are generalists and have to know steel, concrete, masonry, wood, loads. You know, go right down the list. Now they got to know seismic and the new wind code and, you know, everything. It's snowballing on mm -hmm. them. You know, we can, we can be uh, a part of the solution for them, help them with that information that relates to steel. They can get help on other areas, too, uh, from others. You know, maybe the new graduate is uh, going to find something in that area and, and be one of those helpers. Do you have a vision for the future of AISC? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I like to have vision, but it's hard to be Gene Roddenberry, right? I mean, he got it. He was pretty good. <laughs> he was. He was uh, very good. All those things we're carrying around now are Gene Roddenberry uh, uh, innovations, yeah. right? He thought of them before they were even possible. I, I don't have anything like that, but I, I look back at at uh, what I said those people 90 years ago that set up AISC, and they really saw what the future was, mm -hmm. and we're still doing it. That stuff, I think, continues. It might be in a different form. Might be maybe it's electronic. You know, it's going to show up on your iPad or Kindle, or you know, it's going to be electronic somehow. Paper will never go away. I don't think it hasn't yet. But I, I think 
my vision for AISC is where we are headed right now is to have people that care to make a difference. I think that's the key thing and we, we were talking earlier about changes at AISC. It's not that the people that worked here when I joined AISC didn't care. I think it's just now AISC staff is hungrier and more focused on what can we do, you know, how can we help, what can we develop that would make a meaningful difference mm -hmm. uh, for our industry uh, and you don't do that without making a difference for the people like the engineering community that specify the steel that gets made by our industry. Mm -hmm. So you know you gotta serve a lot of masters <laughs> and that's uh, that's difficult at some point but you, know, you work through it. Mm -hmm. we, we've been pretty successful at that and I think it's because we have people that give a damn. I think so too. That's my vision for AISE, we give a damn. <laughs> that can be our can new I motto. Say that? That can be our new motto. Yeah. <laughs> what do you see as the next big innovation in structural engineering? That's uh, another one of these Gene Roddenberry questions. You're, you're good at asking those. Boy, the explosion of these little devices. Uh -huh. Sure hasn't done much good other than we can read Ken Follett novels, right? <laughs> uh, th th this stuff has got to at some point make a difference. And I don't just mean uh, make a difference like uh, let you do the job cheaper and get the project away from some other competing engineering company. It's got to make a difference so that we're, as a, an engineering profession, making better decisions and having more information available to us mm -hmm. immediately so that we can make those decisions informed. I, mean, I, I got to think that that's uh, the next big innovation, that these devices become uh, the basis of us as a profession being able to do that. I don't think we're there right now. We've got all this information. It's sitting in a book somewhere. How do you go find it? Yeah. You, know, you can Google search it. But do it, does it find all the books? I, I don't think so. Mm -mm. Uh, it finds some things, but it doesn't search into the text of the AISE spec. You've got to have that knowledge. And what if you don't have it? What if somebody in your engineering office doesn't have that knowledge or they aren't there that day? You know, how can we get you that information? We've been trying to build things like that. The AISE website is full of information. If you have a manual and you're a member of AISE, you get every piece of information that AISE has to offer that's technical right there at your desk. But the next leap, I think, is getting that stuff so that it's easier for you to connect to it. We've tried. Uh, I've tried to. I got a friend that works at Google. She's in human resources, and, and I've tried to start doing things like getting the AISC shapes to just pop up. You know, you type in W uh, 14 by 90, and all the information is there. Google isn't that interested in in that. Even though I tell them there's, you know, how many uh, millions of square feet of construction. Yeah. Uh, time. They're still interested mostly in uh, movie times oh, and okay. uh, things like that. Well, but, that's uh, important. Too. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> what do you think uh, has been your biggest contribution to AISC? I, I don't want to overstate my contribution. 20 years is a long time to be here, but uh, I plan to be here for a long time. I, sure. I'd like to finish my career here <laughs> uh, a long time from now. <laughs> I guess I should add that. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Jerry's advice keeps ringing, you know, you're going to get yourself fired, <laughs> but uh, I try not to do you're that. You're probably a little beyond that right now. I think the skill that I've had, if I can say I have a skill, mm -hmm. is I like to listen. I have a curiosity uh, about things, and I didn't really know anything when I came here because I came here right out of school. And everything I know, I know because people like Tom Schlafly and Kurt Gustafson told me what they did and what their experiences were and I listened at our committee meetings and I like to sit and listen to the people that really know something in those meetings and we have great balance uh, in our committee meetings so you hear all sides. Mm -hmm. I like to try to put it all together and pull something out that uh, this is a potential solution. You offer a lot of solutions that just crash and burn. And what about if we did this? And I'm thankful that the committee members are, you know, they, they don't laugh, usually. <laughs> <laughs> they don't 
criticize. They, they are accepting. They, they, they are blunt You know, if they don't think it will work, mm-hmm. but you try again. And some things that have come out of that I, I, I think have really helped us move forward. You know, the combination of uh, ASD and LRFD to, you know, get AISE out of this quagmire of mm-hmm. arguing. You know, just put them together. You know, so many people played a part of that. You know, Lou Geschwinder, Tom Murray, Bill Thornton, Jim Fisher, you know, go right down the list. Hank Martin, who's now retired on a boat somewhere. You know, bless his heart. They all contributed to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who, who came up with that idea? I don't know. But, you know, we, we came to a, a common idea and went forward with it. And, uh, you know, I played some part in that. The resolution of the Code of Standard Practice issues with uh, Section 4.2.1, code being written out. Uh, we spent a long time as a code committee talking about that. We reconstituted the code committee as a balanced group with engineers and fabricators represented and people that wanted to solve the problem. And listening to their contributions in those meetings you know, got us to the point uh, that we had something that worked. And it didn't happen overnight, it happened over years. Mm-hmm. More recently, the solution to the common practice of delegating connection design work in the 2010 code, it's the same story there. And those are the things that really give me satisfaction in my job when I can participate with these expert people, uh, hear what they have to say, make some sense out of it for me and then help the group find a solution that works and then we go forward. Some of them don't work out very well but those three I think uh, have been real gains for everybody. What the next one is I I don't know. Well that leads me to my next question. What's the worst idea you've ever had? Um, It was buying stock in Home Depot. <laughs> this is uh, I, I really I got this idea. You know, I, I had a great uncle, not not Uncle Bob. This was Uncle Ed, who was a businessman, and he he got me started early in my teens buying penny stock. You know, you got to get into this, and you know, you learn how to do it. And I I thought I was picking well. I picked Home Depot, and it it, it was like the next day it plummeted. <laughs> I, I I still have probably sixty cents on the dollar, and it's come back up. 80% from what it was at the low after 2008. That was by far the worst decision I ever made. Work-related, yeah, it's hard to pick just one. Just I, I have made uh, a lot of questionable decisions, but fortunately, AISC is the kind of place where they uh, accept that you're going to make some mistakes and uh, you know let you, let you keep trying it. to make some successes mm-hmm. and you know stumble and get back up. Who inspires you? My, my wife, for one. She's a very good person. RIT is uh, uh, just a wonderful, caring person, totally the opposite of me. <laughs> yeah, Not that I'm not caring, I, I'm just an engineer and I, I tend to think very black and white and she's a very feeling person and I, I've learned to, to be more uh, empathetic. Interestingly, she has pointed out some occasions where she has also become more black and white in her decision-making process using my own argument style against me, yeah. which uh, is endearing as well. But she, she is um, the linchpin of her family, and you know she's the, the center hub, and maybe that's my, my viewpoint, and I, I really like that about her. I like who she is, and I try to be uh, a good person like she is. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, she, she's wonderful. She has made all the difference in my life. Uh, what would you consider your greatest life accomplishment at this point in your career? Because I'm sure there will be a lot more. Or yeah, that's life. that's a hard one. I, I hope to think uh, my my greatest things are ahead of me because uh, you know I'd, I'd be hard pressed to point at at one thing and say that's a great accomplishment. 
I think I go back to uh, what I said about working with committees. Really, it's not an accomplishment so much as it is the opportunity and, and privilege. I feel that it is, th these are really accomplished people mm -hmm. uh, that serve on our committees. The, they are at the pinnacles of their careers in engineering, in the industry, in academia, and they're coming to meetings that we're hosting, they're giving their time, and they share their knowledge, and I get to participate in that. So maybe that's an accomplishment for me, uh, not, not so much an accomplishment that I made. Right. But um, uh, that's really what I think is the greatest thing that I can say. The, the other stuff, uh, I think if you take it all together, hopefully at the end we'll, we'll talk about a, you know, a good a record of achievement and you know, get a gold watch at retirement. <laughs> and, uh, well, I take that back. I'm never going to retire. I'll, oh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll work here uh, forever. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'll, have to, I'll check back with you again in 20 years and <laughs> see if you've got a different answer to the question. Right. Okay, well, thank you so much again for talking to me today, Charlie. Okay, well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. This has been a presentation by the American Institute of Steel Construction. Join us next month when my guest will be William A. Thornton, Ph.D. P.E., Corporate Consultant and Vice President for Surveys Engineering Corporation of Roswell, Georgia, and outgoing chairman of the AISC Committee on Manuals. For more information on AISC continuing education opportunities, please visit us on the web at AISC.org seminars. And remember, there's always a solution in steel.